you're going to wing it. You're not going to be your best version of yourself. They're going to see you right through it. You can tell yourself all you want to say, like, well, I, I love when I hear the people say, well, I don't like practicing because I don't sound like that in front of the client. Oh, really? Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Perfect, let's record yourself. I had someone recently, and he said that I challenged her and she finally did, and she's like, you know what? My southern drawl wasn't as bad as it sounded. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Casey Jaycox. Casey is author of the book titled Win the Relationship, Not the Deal, and host of the Quarterback Dad Podcast, of which I was honored to be a guest. And in our conversation today, Casey and I talk about the value of relationships in building your book of business and in building your career, and why you need to focus, CC writes, on winning the relationship first. So earlier in his career, Casey found that too often he was focused on the metrics of sales activities rather than understanding what actually makes a great salesperson. And this is a common trap that far too many professional salespeople fall into. You know, they're going through the motions without making the effort to truly understand why the things they do actually work. Or, as is oftentimes the case, sometimes don't work. And how to experiment to fix those. So we're going to dig into Casey's six rules for winning the relationship, including how to ditch your ego and let your authentic self shine, and why, very importantly, you need to be patient and persistent. You know, everyone has their own learning curve and their own time frame to achieve some success. So it's going to take some patience. It's going to take some persistence to help yourself get there. So, okay, all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Casey, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Casey, welcome to the show. Andy, I'm honored to join you, sir. It's a pleasure to have you here. So yeah. um, I was a guest on your podcast, the Quarterback Dad podcast. So tell people how you came up with that name. Well, people think it sounds like it's a, a football uh, theme or in f- a football because I played college football and I always have to give a shout out and love to Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. So I keep that streak going. But <laughs> the theme of really was, was around, you know, uh, as a dad, we don't have to be the leader, but we could be a leader in the house and a mom or whatever situation you have in your, the other partner we'll call it is, could be the general manager here or he or she might be the coach. But I wanted to create conversations with fathers because some of us guys aren't the best at communicating, and I wanted to make it Shocking. cool to talk about. Yeah. I want to make it cool to talk about your feelings, talk about what you're not good at, talk about things you want to get better at, so that we teach our kids that it's okay to talk about those things. And when more dads can open up, uh, we become better leaders for our home. We become more vulnerable to growth. And honestly, I feel selfishly, it's it's I'm getting the most therapy out of every episode because I get to talk about my gaps, things I want to improve as a, as a dad. So it's been a, a, a very, very um, amazing journey. I don't know where it's going to go, but I I'm still produce some podcast episodes weekly, and I'm, I'm very thankful to do so. It is one of the things about doing a podcast that I, I say the exact same thing, that doing this podcast is one of the more selfish things I've done because I, I get so much out of it. You know, I've, we're edging up close to 1,000 episodes now, and, and yeah, I've talked to – Hundreds and hundreds of smart people like yourself, and every time I, I do one of these interviews, I learn something that I can apply either in you know, my business world or professional or personal world, excuse me. So, yeah, 
it's uh, it is selfish. It's I get more out of it perhaps than anybody else. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about your book uh, called "Win the Relationship, Not the Deal: Six Common Sense Strategies to Succeed in Life and Business." Uh, you're probably aware there's a lot of talk about relationships these days, especially mm-hmm. in sales. Uh, actually, a surprising number of people that are against them. Um, and so, what was your impetus to write the book? Uh, well, so the sarcastic answer is to prove that us football guys can't put sentences together. Yeah. Uh, but check, I did that. But yeah. uh, the, serious, the serious answer is, it hit me when I was traveling, um, probably eight or nine years ago. And I was uh, the senior guy at our on, this, on our team at the company I was at, and I remember I was working with a newer t- team in this part of the in, in Dallas, and they were so competitive. They were they wanted to win so bad. They wanted to win every deal, and they didn't. They got frustrated, and they were just at, at times I think focusing on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And I said, "How can we win people when we lose a deal?" And they looked at me like I was an, like an idiot, more like, "What are you talking about?" Like, and I. I said, think about how can you win? How can you win a person with your follow-up when you lose a deal? And we, we kind of top chat through that scenario. Like an example was, imagine that I lose a consulting deal to ABC company, and I followed up with the client after losing and saying, "Hey, I'm sorry that we didn't get a chance. We, I'm sorry we weren't picked. However, right. I, I want to make sure that you got what you wanted out of it, and I hope that um, everything that they said they were do, they they did. And they were like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And so, and right when it hit me, I kept saying this, and all of a sudden, I said, we got to win relationships, not deals. And it was like, that's it. And, you know, I, I didn't want to write it when I'm still employed um, my previous employer because I wanted to make sure I was fully focused on it. And most authors can say you don't write a book to make money. Uh, you get you write a book to, to get a message out there. Right, right. And, uh, that, and it's been so, it's been humbling to see what people have written about it. Um, you know, it's a very, I would say it's a very conversational style writing that I've been told I have. And but uh, it's it's a it's it's hopefully bringing common sense to sellers to to focus on things that aren't quite the most sexiest thing in the world. But if you focus on the six things I write about, it will produce better relationships in your life. Yeah, well, let's go back to this this issue because I mean the centerpiece of what you're writing about is relationships mm-hmm. in sales primarily, um, and yeah, this is as I said this is not a topic without controversy these days. I uh, just got through reading a book by people that advocate that you know it's it's we're sidelining the humans and the relationship and buyers don't want to interact with salespeople anymore they don't want relationships they just yeah like sort of on the the litany of things and has that been your experience not yet I you know I, I hear that a lot I, uh, I maybe I'm getting the old souls coming out me I'm now the, the, the older gentleman in, in the journey but I feel like in the end you You're are still, always, still young trust me yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you, you in the end the human connection will never get old you, you listening will never get old mm-hmm. having someone follow up with you and make you feel like you're the most important word world and will never get old uh, a computer can't provide you empathy uh, an no. automation can't provide you empathy. A person can p- provide you empathy. And so uh, maybe some industries will, will get erased by humans. In the end, I've had so many times where I, I personally, in my own life, whether it's through consumer buying, I'll try to use technology, but sometimes it's just, it's nice to just have someone make you feel like you were listened to and they, and they cared and they wanted to help you and mm-hmm. you went away. Uh, so for me, I, I, 
I'm going to maybe challenge that for others out there. I'm going to do my best to keep trying to make the human experience, the customer experience, one that's of human connection. That, um, that I always say that Maya Angelou feel when she says it's not, I'm paraphrasing here, it's not what you right. said or why you said it, how you made people feel when they left the room. Yeah, well, it's how you make people feel that they remember. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that some of that, that conversation is, yeah, I find amusing, let's say. Uh, the report coming, everybody rushed out, even during the pandemic still, before things started, hopefully, trickling <laughs> trickling out as they are now, is saying, oh, yeah, sea change. Yeah, buyers don't want to talk to sellers anymore. Yeah, I got a list of things along that same line. And the reason it amuses me is the fact that buyers have never wanted to talk to sellers. I've never really <laughs> talked to a customer who said, yeah, you know, it's really my my goal to talk to a salesperson today. You know, life's not going to be complete till I talk to that salesperson. Right. They've never wanted to. You've always had to earn the right to be able to talk to a customer. And I don't think that's going to change anytime because I think, to your point, depending on the products and services that, that someone is buying, yeah, as they become more strategic, more complex, more pricey, uh, yeah, they want to talk to a human about that. Yeah, they want to be, and yeah, uh, they, they want to be able to talk about their problem. They want to talk about what's not working. They don't want to hear about how great this, our company is until we show that we have interest in them. Well, but they also, at a point you've made, which I agree with uh, 100%, is, is people want to feel understood. Right? It's part of the way we're wired as human beings. We want to feel connected. Or we want to feel listened to. But we also want to feel understood. And... Yeah, that doesn't come from <laughs> – you're not going to get that necessarily just from uh, a digital transaction or something. And I no. think, again, it has to do – you just have a curve, I believe, of that's like complexity, strategic nature of the acquisition, price, you know, implementation. You know, there are certain factors. And certainly we're seeing at the lower end more and more products are being sold completely digitally. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, but sellers need to find a way to still continue to add value. If they can add value, then sure, the buyers will just do it online. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. Neil Rackham wrote about this in a book twenty plus years ago, and started rethinking the modern sales force. I forget the exact title, but yeah, I just always remember a line I highlighted in there is, is you know, if, as a channel, as a sales channel, if you don't provide value to the buyer, then they'll buy from the channel that adds the least cost to the transaction. So it's a pretty simple bar. Yep. And you don't earn value once you have to continue to find ways to earn value and you have to continue to find ways. Cause I'm sure you saw this in your selling career. Once you get in, you get, you win a deal, you win a person and then complacency is a silent killer. It'll sneak up on you. And all it's, of a sudden, yep. why did I get replaced? They were, did a vendor reduction and I got bounced with it. I thought, we, I thought you liked me. I thought they loved me. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes that's out of your control. I mean, I've yeah. got a great story about a company. I was running this this division for this company. It wasn't a huge company, but it was, you know, it was like a $30-plus million a year division. We were the biggest division in the company. And we owned the market we were in. Owned it, lock, stock, and barrel. And then the company decided, well, we're going to invest all of our money in a new product. That will be our next big thing. And as a consequence, the company got complacent. I mean, we weren't in terms of servicing the customers, but 
we didn't come out with new products. You know, we didn't come out with anything that, that would help the buyers continue to down their path of what they wanted to do with their systems they had from us. And ultimately, we lost, you know, we went from having 80% market share to 25 in wow. a relatively short period of time. So, yeah, complacency. If you're not listening to the customer, it's not just the seller, but if the you know, so if I couldn't try as might you know, bring the CEO and everybody out to see these customers, he just had other plans for his dollars and yeah, got complacent, you lose it. Mm. So um you wrote that too often, speaking about yourself, you were focused on the metrics of sales activities rather than understanding what makes a great salesperson. So what makes a great salesperson? I think a great salesperson is someone who um, uses his his or her ears more than his mouth. A great salesperson is someone who shows up prepared, on time, not blasting in at 68 miles an hour, skidding out in the parking lot, parking accidentally in the handicap, and then... Uh, <laughs> or the you know, CEO's spot. Right. And, and, and talking all about them. As, as a great salesperson asks the customer to start the meeting, describe what would be an ideal outcome for you, Mr. and Mrs. Client, during today's time we have together. Uh, a great salesperson has an agenda but doesn't, isn't living or dying by his or her agenda. They are um, using open-ended questions, which I have got taught in my career. It's called TED-based, tell me, explain, or describe. Mm-hmm. And they use that formula to uncover problems that exist, to then they can tie back to problems that we as the provider or, or vendor can solve. Mm-hmm. And then be able to quickly share stories of success where we've done it elsewhere to provide confidence that we can help them. Mm-hmm. Now, a junior person might be listening like, well, how, how am I going to do that? I've only been here five weeks and I don't, I don't have these stories. Well, that's your excuse and you're telling this, that's the story you're telling yourself. And I, always, I love working with more or less experienced people because I'm like, find the people who are doing it really well inside the company, memorize their stories and make them your own. Mm-hmm. And... They're not going to, I'm not saying lie to the client. I would never say that, but like you can just like Microsoft, like use this example, the person in Excel is going to be also talk about word. He's going to talk about SharePoint. He's going to talk about all the other things Microsoft does just because you weren't there for it. doesn't matter. You have the same mascot team colors and, and you're the same company. So make their success, your success and, yeah. and, and practice it. And that's the last thing I'll say. So a great salesperson, Andy will practice their whole career. They'll never stop being comfortable with, Practicing, role-playing, preparing for meetings. I agree. I'm preparation, learning, to your point, I mean, the wisdom you get from, I think, in your sales career is very rarely comes from books or <laughs> podcasts. Maybe this one accepted. Um, but it comes from listening to people. Your customers will tell you how to sell to them listening to your peers, as you said, find the people who are really good at what they're doing and shadow them. See what, you know, listen to the calls that they make. Listen to the recordings if you're recording them. Um, sit in on calls if they're doing a Zoom call. So, you know, sit in the corner and just listen. That's where you pick up so much of, of what happens. It's, and this is where I think we're sort of missing in sales these days is, is this idea that used to be very present, that sales was an apprenticeship and that you... You learned over a period of time, sort of absorbing what was going on around you and practicing and, as you said, practicing and role-playing. But now it seems like, yeah, we just want it to be sort of very mechanized. And you've got 90 days to get up to speed. And there may be some people who can get up to speed in 90 days, but there may be really good people that would turn out to be really talented. 
maybe they take six months or nine right. months before it hits. It doesn't seem like we have room for them anymore. Well, it's, it's amazing when uh, the, the seller realizes that if you don't practice, um, then you can, then we should call your clients today and tell them that, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Client, you know, Andy over at ABC company, you like him, right? Oh yeah. Great guy. I love him. He does a great job. Well, he practices on you and he wings it and he really doesn't know more about you, but he loves himself and he loves talking about all the things he does and he memorizes PowerPoint and he does it so well, but he has no idea what your business is about. Mm-hmm. You still want to work with him. And usually when the, you, I mean, I try to like lay on the sarcasm when I'm coaching people and, and the look on their face is usually priceless. Like, well, I don't want them to know that. Well, then what are we going to do differently about it? Mm-hmm. Right. Because, um, and the, and the gift of practice and organizations for whatever reason, a lot of the companies that I work with, they don't do it anymore. And it, it, it I don't see NFL players. They, they have to go practice every week. I see pilots. They have to go back for reoccurring training twice a year for I see doctors having to go back to training, but yet us as sellers, we're that elite. We can just go and wing it, and we expect these amazing results. Well, yeah, you talked really about two things. One is practice, like uh, you know, NFL or college football players, basketball players, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's also continuous learning. And yeah, we sort of fail on both, which is really ironic because... Never before has more information been available so readily to sellers mm-hmm. to be able to learn. I mean, when I got started, not to date myself unnecessarily, but yeah, I was listening to cassettes, cassette tapes in my car, uh, Zig Ziglar and, and so on. And then you could buy a book. But that was it. And then occasionally, like once a year roll through town, these these big events that show up in the indoor arena and they do Zig Ziglar and all these other motivational speakers and so on. You could go sort of do that for a, a one-day thing. But that was it. But now, we've got all this, all this content that's right. available. But there's no indication that people are really taking advantage of it any more broadly than they might have before. Mm-hmm. How do we motivate people in your mind? How do we motivate people to sellers to to do that? I think it's through questions. I think it's the, the it's great when you ask great questions and make someone else realize it's their idea. They're going to want to take action to it. A, a quote I love sharing with the old Tommy Lasorda, rest in peace, Tommy. Mm-hmm. He talks about there's three types of people in life: people who watch things happen, wonder how things happen, and make things happen. Mm-hmm. And I I love sharing that quote because it just it helps people realize, do you want to be a seller that's going to be gone in three months? Do you want to be a seller that's going to be on a, a plan in six months and fired in nine months? Or do you want to be a seller that's presence club winner year after year after year? Like, tell me which sounds most great for you. And it's like when you can back back them into what they want to do and then ask, keep asking questions as a leader or a coach to make them realize the steps they need to take. I've found that higher percentage of time than not, that helps um, habits stick. And and sometimes saying as a leader or coach, like, tell me what's changed to the rep mm-hmm. and your goals changed. No, okay. Then tell me what we need to be doing differently. And a lot of times they can help get back on track there. Another thing that I, I love when I was selling, um, for years, I would, I would love asking clients, even though we want a deal still ask, tell me two things where we can still improve. To mm-hmm. You just constant, continuous learning and growth and leading by example by that way. And, and Sometimes I'd have people say, why, why are you asking for that? We already, won, we already won them. I know, but I want to take the win to another deeper level so that when things get tough, they're going to go to bat for me when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
Well, so it really begs the question, one that, that we talk a lot about on this program is, so, and you've sort of touched on it, but I want to dig in more into it. Yeah, what's the role of the sales leader in making all this happen? Because yeah, I feel like certainly if you read sales books, you read, listen to podcasts, uh, yeah, spend time on LinkedIn, people talking about sales, people are like quick to talk about the failure of sellers, but not as much about the failure of managers. And to me, that's really where the problem starts, right? Is, is we're not enabling this class of people that hold these management slash leadership jobs to, we're not enabling them with the tools they need to do the things that you talked about, to be able to have the conversations with their sellers they need to have in a way that's just not purely about, hey, let's talk about your, your pipeline, but let's talk about you and what's most important to you and what you're trying to achieve in your career and so on. We're not, we're not making that seem important. Mm-hmm. I, um, I define leadership. I also define sales leadership and relationship building all with the same equation, which is humility plus vulnerability equals leadership. I found when, in my experience, time on earth here, the leaders I worked my hardest for is ones when they created psychological safe environments where they knew it was okay to mess up internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked harder for sellers, sales leaders where I knew like, Oh, you messed up that way. Or what did you say? Or when they weren't afraid to go first mm-hmm. uh, in a role play, they weren't afraid to say what did not work and be careful of this. Uh, I worked harder for the, for this, the leader that wasn't that, yeah, we had a metric of, let's say 10 meetings a week, but I, let's say I had eight meetings and my, and my pipeline was my, was you know, huge. Like they weren't going to bust my, you know what, on right. you get two meetings, Casey, what's wrong with you? They were like, Hey, awesome. I'd rather have eight really, really good ones versus 10 bad ones. Nice job. And they, they, they focused on what was truly important was there's, there's all these ways to, to get connected to people, whether it's phone, you know, even back when I was early in my sales career, I was faxing clients. Mm-hmm. Funny story to share on that one maybe later, but. Well, no, you can yeah. share it now if you want. Well, so like, I think bad sales leaders, they folk, like we, I, we used to get pounded on like call reports and are you making 6,000 calls a day and doing this and doing that. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, leaders who can make it fun and make this, make selling fun and, and let, let your salespeople use their personality to win people, you're going to, you're going to build great environments by that. And you're, and because you, everybody isn't the same, you have to meet, just like you have to meet your customer where they are. You have to meet your rep where they are. And if some are better at texting to get connection and they're, and they're driving results, well, great. Let, sell, celebrate that, but still get, you know, encourage them that there's other ways to do it as a backup in case that doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. And so one of my early, early, early days, I, uh, for those that know a fax machine, it, it's, it's a really weird technology where you'd put a piece of paper through a printer like thing and then make a really weird, scary noise. And then you would get a piece of paper back to my other side. So I, a guy was not getting back to me. I tried email. I tried an email with just was starting when I was first getting into business and I would leave voicemails and nothing was working. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to try something that worked for me in fifth grade. So I wrote a handwritten note on a piece of paper. And I said, Mr. Client, I can't remember his name. I said, I've tried email. That hasn't worked. I've tried phone. That hasn't worked. So I'm going to use, try something that worked for me in fifth grade when I got my first girlfriend. If you can please I check a box. <laughs> no, I said, if you can please check a box and uh, let me know which answers resonates most of you and then send it back to me. I'd really appreciate it. 
And one of them was like, you know, I have no idea who you are. Why are you talking to me? Please stop. I'm interested in your services, but not now. I'd like to set up time to meet. Thank you for your follow-up. And the last box was like, if you contact me again, I'm calling the police today. And the guy, true as day, I love to, I mean, it's a legendary story in my old company that the guy checked the box of, I'm interested in your services. And he hand, he hand writ, writ, wrote the note back to me, said, Casey, your persistence has reached diligence, not annoyance. I'm excited to meet you. Yeah. You know, and I, I wasn't, you know, my boss thought it was awesome. She was like, I can't believe you did that. And it worked. Right. And now you got to, I, I don't want people to go rogue and go crazy out of this, you know, but be yourself, right? The number one reason to be yourself is everybody else is already taken. And you sales, have that quote in your book. Yeah. Leaders help people be their best version of themselves in a safe environment, right? If you, if you're, if you're constantly churning through people, well, not only does it make your life miserable, but it makes your customer's life miserable. Right. Well, I think that a lot of people sort of cringe when they hear this idea of psychological safety, right? Especially older school people, because it's like, uh, you know, things were tough when we were, we were going through this. But you're not talking about making people safe from accountability. No, 100%. It's, right. But it's, it's giving people the freedom to, as you said, to become the best version of themselves. Yeah, we, there's... Yeah, I'm not a big advocate of any one particular sales methodology because, quite frankly, I think everyone, every human has their own unique methodology. Once if they're experienced, if they're being thoughtful about how they sell, the way they sell is an aggregation of influences from multiple sources and sort of become unique to them. Let people do that, right? right? I mean, I've <laughs> been in companies that have grown quickly and been successful, grown companies have been successful. That's always been more of the recipe as opposed to saying, look, great, yeah, here's the process, make these number of calls, make this number of emails, maybe for a certain type of product, a little more transactional, maybe that's great, but yeah, if you take the humans out of it, you can maybe do that, but if you have the humans still involved in it, let humans develop to be able to go sell to them. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote an article earlier this year with another gentleman, and we, we talked, to, he's a sales leader, um, and we talked about, imagine if every seller entered the day that they just won the lottery, but they still wanted to go to work. Like imagine their mindset. Mm-hmm. And imagine if, this, if the sales leader had that same mindset. And imagine if we, we and then we kind of joke, imagine if we removed fear from a, a, a sales organization, what would happen? Well, can like, you? I think you can through humility and vulnerability. Where, now, I'm not saying not hold people accountable. That's, you, you, you nailed it with that line. I'm saying if people are, it's like the back of the backup quarterbacks, the best thing ever. If, if the if you're starting quarterbacks, always fearful, every play, they're never get, they're going to be not their best. And people need to be spoken confidence into them. People need sometimes people saying, man, you're, you're one of our best. Let's go have a great day. Go get them. Like, I'm not talking fake rah-rah stuff, but there's, there's power in psyche that we as humans uh, on average have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 80% of those thoughts are negative, uh, scary things. So it's like, we're already kind of against ourselves. Now we, now we have the sales leader just ripping us apart, thinking we're not, the, we're not doing this, not doing it. Now we're, what's our chances for being successful with the client? Probably not, not good. Well, but I think that's a useful discussion to talk about what is the fear we're talking about, right? Because certainly there's you know, fear of failure, but I think for a lot of people, as you said, it's fear of, I would say disappointing their their manager, but 
being on the receiving end of that disappointment, perhaps. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I guess I'm talking about fear of uh, you got to be perfect, or a fear of which doesn't exist. Right? There's no mm-hmm. such thing. We're all flawed. Everybody's got gaps. Yeah. But fear in environments where, uh, as leaders, if we can encourage people to know that you're going to mess up, it's going to happen. Let's try not to, you know, burn the burn the building down, or let's try not to get us fired out of our best count. Mm-hmm. Joke here, but like knowing that there's going to be bumps, and, and the best the best thing about adversity um, is it's it's a golden ticket for learning more, learning learning about what you can do better. Um, and, and, and that I think shapes cultures when everybody has that mindset of no one's getting defensive. And for me, it came from playing college football. I hate to make this uncle Rico moment again, but like getting coached in front of 20 of my teammates, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and having a great game, completing 70% of my passes and still getting coached. Sure. You know, it's like over and over and, and we didn't get to watch the good plays. We got to watch those three or four times, the bad ones. 10 times when I get a coach, I threw an interception. This is embarrassing. Please stop. (laughs) Well, but we have similar experiences now, but I mean, at least technology in order to have game film type experiences in sales because we can record calls and and coach people don't just have to do it in front of the entire sales team. Um, Though you could, but it's, it's, yeah, yeah, I just, getting back on the fear thing again, it's because it's, you know, we have these statistics talking about uh, recent surveys done of you know, 3,000 salespeople, 75% saying they're stressed or extremely stressed. And we know there's a lot of external stressors that yeah we have going on with COVID and so on. But it always raises a question is, yeah, how do we, how do we create a culture? And you've addressed it somewhat. That is just inherently less stressful. There's always going to be the, the uh, innate stress from wanting to do a good job. Right, wanting to succeed at your your work, be good at what you do, but it seems like there's all these other layers that still get laid on top of people. That, yeah, to your point, if if people are feeling incredibly stressed and they have to go out and have a call with a customer, um, yeah, Zoom call, phone call, whatever, it's not going to go very well. No, I mean, and those like I I think about. Uh, if someone saw me not my as my best, then we're about to go into a phone call, and then and my leader came up and said, "Case, hey, tell me what's going on, man. Are you okay?" No, I'm not okay. Or if they just gave me a chance to talk and they showed genuine interest in me as a person versus just like pounding call after call after call, like sooner or later you're going to run yourself ragged. But just trying to bring that human empathy to organizations, and I always know this will help resonate more of our conversation, Andy. But you know, it'd be interesting if we pulled all the people listen to the show and think about how many people have core values on a wall that mean something. Personal values or corporate values? Or corporate or core values within an organization. Okay. Like, and I think when, when, when people see that those words matter and there's accountability for those words that I think can remove fear. Like knowing like, Hey, if, if I do that, it's not going to be good. I'm going to get let go. Or if I see someone else doing that, but if they, but if they don't get away with it, then why, why is the leader doing this? And is he or she managing the, this or that or doing this or do that. I think I feel like when people know that there's truth, accountability, consistency, genuineness from their leader, um, that what they say when what they do are the exact same thing, then that will slowly over time remove fear and create the best help people create their best versions of themselves, I believe. Yeah. Well that last one you talked about is is um, integrity, right? 
when your actions match your words. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really, as a seller, that's, that helps you from a predictability standpoint. I mean, it's always one of the toughest things to be a seller in an environment where the boss is unpredictable. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was early, uh, so as a, I, I moved into leadership for a couple years stint, and I went back into just production. I moved into an executive end of my career where I came from. But the, one of the first times I went into it, we had our executive leadership at the time made us manage calls per day, which always drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Always focusing the wrong thing, you know. And I mean, it's it's a good metric to help people guide people, but it's not everything. And I remember there was this one rep I was, I was managing, and, and he had like hundreds and hundreds of, I'm like, dang, this guy's killing it. But his results, his revenue re- results were like the lowest in the company. It's like, something's not adding up. And I remember like, well, I'm going to, and I don't, I don't like looking at these reports too often, but I'm just going to look. And I just, I, I randomly opened it up one day and it was a detailed report of everybody he'd called. Now the average length of phone message call was four seconds. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say 10, but yes. The, the number, I was like, that's weird. The number, the exact same number. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I know what I'm going to do. So I went to my leadership team and said, hey, I'm going to let this person go. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you doing that? And I said, because he violated a core value, honesty. And there's accountability for this. Yeah. He says, well, we, we can't just do that. I said, well, then I'm, I can't be a leader here because I can't lead and follow through and set examples for people if, if what we say doesn't matter. So... Either I'm not going to be the best leader for you, or we're going to, I'm going to pull him in and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let, make him his last day today and set an example. And I had to get HR involved and they were like, no, Case, you're doing the right thing. And, but like right then it was like setting the tone for, Hey, we're not just doing this to do it. If you want to be in the huddle, if you want to be on my team, this is the, we call play. This is the route you run. And you might not always get the ball every time, but this is the expectation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, this is sort of the, I don't know, the battle for the soul of sales, let's say, to some degree, right? Is that between, I think, on one hand, you have, have you know, managers with expectations and there's certain activity levels and certain performance levels that sort of happen. And on the other hand, them knowing that the better approaches, as you describe, is something that's more individualized, more personalized, that that everybody has their own... Everybody has their own ratios, if you will, right? I mean, ultimately, we all have our numbers. We just have to, our numbers could be different in terms of how many calls it takes to call, develop a call, excuse me a qualified opportunity that you know take it into the the rest of the way to the finish line. And I think there's really this push pull is that you know we have managers that would like to sort of manage that way if they feel the pressure of as the person you spoke to. Yeah, but the numbers look good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, revenue is good enough, but uh, yeah, we're getting it in a way that's not very efficient. But yeah, we're getting it, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying. And I think this is this is again, it's this big push pull. Is you certainly see this in a lot of software companies. Is yeah, they're making their number, but at what price? And what are they creating in terms of a culture? And is this even a sustainable process they have uh, to develop people and develop their business? And probably not. Yeah, exactly. Like of all those companies who are hitting their number year after year, after year what are your what are your employee churn numbers and what are your employees you know SAT scores and um, I mean, there's a lot of things you can measure and look at. But t- t- I, I was very fortunate, I guess, Andy. I, I was at a company for 20 years and I worked uh, with a team that we were the you know, top team. I was on the top account that we just built and we were consistent about 
humility, vulnerability. No one's no one's better than the team. And mm-hmm. I was, and I think you you are what you allow. And you surround yourself with people with their consistent expectations. If there's people that get out of line, you got to be honest and call them out. And I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm old school. In my thought right there, but I just. I think a lot of this stuff would be controlled where we just get lazy with our habits and then things get off the track in a hurry. Yeah. See, I don't think there's old school. You know, I think there's a human school and, and not, right? There you go. That's better said. And the human school is not going anywhere as much as some people may wish that it did and that we could you know, take the humans completely out of the equation for buying and selling. Yeah. There's a range of products. It's happened. We'll continue to have a range of products that that's going to grow into. But, yeah, still plenty and plenty of products where there's some level of complexity or strategic nature about it or uh, even price perhaps as a, as a you know, metric that people want to talk to humans to help right. them make a decision. And that's really all you're trying to do as a seller is yeah, I, I think we make it too complex. And I so I've come up with my definition, but it's our one line definition of sales, which you know puts the human front and center, but I'd but it's where it belongs, right? Because you'd look at it from the buyer's perspective. So my definition is as, as sellers, our job is to listen, to understand what's the most important thing to the buyer, and then help them get that. And usually help them get to a spot they couldn't get to on their own because they didn't have the someone guiding them or the questions asking them to realize what yeah. was important. Yeah, that's sort of the unspoken in there, right? If they could get it without you, they would have gotten it without you. Right. Uh, and they will if they can. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. You know, we sort of touched that earlier. It's like, that's not people aren't, customers aren't waiting around for the salespeople to call them. Uh, <laughs> yes, Andy called me today. I was waiting for that all day long. Oh, my buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Said no one ever. Um, yeah, you used to have a favorite quote of mine in in your book, and it, it sort of speaks to the topics we've been talking about, which was uh, I'm a big Ralph Waldo Emerson fan, and maybe it follows me, knows that. Sees my, he sees his quotes all over. But you have this one that's uh, from him saying, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Um, what's that mean to you? Well, as someone who's not always patient, I need to hear that one often. Um, to me, it means that you you have to meet your customer where they are. You have to meet, and, and you, if you try to force a customer to want to work with you, if you have to tell them they want to work with you, they're going to resist you every time. And a gentleman late in my career, uh, by the name of John Kaplan, he told me, Case, you're one of the most unconsciously competent people I've ever met. I'm going to help you become more consciously competent. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. He's like, no, it's good. I'm just going to help you slow down a little bit and ask better questions and, and realize what's in your head and, and be able to articulate. It's like, oh, okay, I can get down with that. And so patience realizes that, you know, when, once you ask the right question that resonates most with the, 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 the buyer or the person, the problem that you're trying to tie back to a business problem or trying to solve, it's going to happen. Right. But if you try to force something, it's not. And so for me, I think patience is something where you have to let things happen organically. And if you try to be, if you sound desperate, if you sound, you know, salesy, right. And, and a lot salesy can mean a lot of different things. I mean, I had someone recently say, well, I didn't, I didn't follow up with them right away. Cause I didn't want to be salesy. I said, well, guess what? You're already salesy. Cause you didn't follow up. Mm-hmm. That one backfired on you. You right. waited a week and a half and now you're salesy. Because, right. So be, how to be less salesy 
be patient and, and say no sometimes. Tell them you can't help them. Tell them, and you, and you be, be amazed how you'll shock people by saying, I don't know if we're the best fit, Mr. and Mrs. Client. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Yeah, I don't think we're the best fit. Let me help you find someone who is, though. Mm-hmm. And that actually happened early in my this consulting practice where I could have easily sold someone to, as their coach. I could have easily weaseled my way in as a, to run a workshop. And I said, no. And I, I found two other people, and the person was like blown away. And they said, this is so refreshing that you're walking the walk of win the relationship, not the deal. I said, it's about if I'm not walking it from the front, this whole book's BS. It doesn't mean anything. Right. right? And so to me, I don't know, long with answer. Patience is doing the, the, the little things like I talked about in each chapter, but just knowing that if you do the little things, they're going to become big things, both good and bad, but you got to just be patient to see, you know, what, 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 what relationships just happen organically. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that people need to understand, and I, I agree on that, is that that's actually the path to making things speed up as well. And it's true. So when you look at the way that, that at least my experience has shown and, and my belief is the way most customers make good enough decisions, right? Everybody's got three constraints in making a decision, time, knowledge, and understanding. And they have a limit, buyers. And so buyers are really, what they're trying to do is they're trying to quickly gather and make sense of the information they need to make a good decision. And when they find something that meets the criteria that is satisfies their requirements and is sufficient to help them meet their desired business outcomes, they'll stop looking. And so if you're constantly pushing, 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 and you get that resistance, um, yeah, you're not going to build the requisite trust and relationship with somebody to have them sort of consider you as a, a possible solution. But if you... As you said, patient, build the relationships, ask great questions, make sure you're listening to really understand, you give them the value and that they need, that they understand their options and what's a good solution for them. When they get to that point where they find a solution that satisfies their requirements and is sufficient to meet their desired outcomes, they'll make a choice right then. You know, I agree. I think like the most, one of the most, hopefully the most simplistic takeaways I hope people take from our conversation is I always tell people I, I was either around it my journey or even as a sales coach now is I always wanted to hear two words when I meet with someone and that is great question. And, and just, I want people to think about it when they leave, like the next time you're on your, in front of your prospect, your client and, you, and you're prepared and you ask a question, that's a good one. They're going to tell you it's human nature. That always happens. I'm so aware of it now. Mm-hmm. So you hear a great question, you know, you made them think, you know, you made, and that's going to help, uh, speed up the, the, the patient's journey like mm-hmm. that you talked about. And that's something you can practice that we believe it or not, sure. you can practice because it, what patience, the skill says you have to be self-aware. You have to practice emotional intelligence. You have to be aware, like, Hey, are, are you, are you talking right now more than you should be talking? Are you asking questions? Are you, and, and practice that because when you do the, once you get in front of the client, it's going to be so much better. You're going to find yourself being patient because you're prepared and when you're not prepared, you're going to wing it. You're not going to be your best version of yourself. They're going to see you right through it. Uh, and you can, you can tell yourself all you want to say, like, well, I, I love when I hear the people say, well, I don't like practicing because I don't sound like that in front of the client. <laughs> oh, really? Let's, okay, Mr. Mr. Mrs. Perfect, let's record yourself. I had someone recently, and he said that I, I challenged her, and she finally did. And she's like, you know what? 
my Southern drawl wasn't as bad as it sounded. And uh, she was, she was beating herself up and had this negative self-talk. And I said, mm. listen, stop saying that. And, and I, I, I told her, you can't use the five swear words I say, which is need to, should to, want to, have to, can't, can't say those words to me. Mm. And she practiced and she was like, she came away saying, man, I, 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 I wasn't as bad as I thought. Now she's a better version of herself. Now she can practice all these things I'm, I'm talking about that you probably know all too well as too. Well, as I said, there's technology like Ring Dene's conversational AI. You record the calls, you listen back to them, you get a coach to help you walk through them. Uh, yeah, you get all sorts of analytics about the call, talk time, so on and so forth. When you have tools like that available, take advantage of them, right? Because yeah. especially if you're early in your career, um, it's repetition, it's coaching, it's feedback, it's understanding, it's hearing yourself. Oh, hugely important. Yeah, I would have killed to have that when I was early in my career because I was just out making, we were making calls in person mostly. But, you know, it would have been great to have some sort of feedback on that. You, made, you just made me flashback. You took me back to my first sales job where they had the tripod up recording mm-hmm. in, front of, in, in the room. Yep. And I, wing, I winged it just like normal junior non-prepared people did. I thought I knew what I was doing. I had no idea. And I literally sat there and the guy just peppered me with questions that I had not got the answer to. And I just felt myself getting lower and lower and smaller and smaller. And it was like, I literally was like, mom, I want my blankie. I want to go cry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I'm glad I went through it because it, it was a quick eye-opening experience. Like, man, I got to get better. That my customers deserve better. My team deserves better. This, this is not a path for success. Well, yeah, I think if you need to learn humility, sales is a great profession for that. Because no matter how smart you think you are and how capable you think you are, you'll soon learn pretty quickly that you're not the smartest person and you're not the most capable person. And there are a lot of people out there you can learn from. I always tell people, you might as well stay humble because sales will humble you in a hurry. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, that's fine. I mean, the humility on a couple levels. One is just sort of this emotional humility, but then also just the intellectual humility, which is really the, the big one is, you know, are you open-minded, right? Um, still think back to my early days with people I worked with who they just thought they knew it all. You know, here they were a 23-year-old kid and having a little bit of success and they thought, cat's meow. And they didn't last long. No, no. I'd also, I'd say that if there's top performers, if there's top reps out there listening right now, what you just talked about hit home is, I think this is why, um, I was able to have success at my previous client company was at is I never stopped practicing. I never wanted to stop trying to become my best version of me. Mm-hmm. And I asked from my parents, my coaches, my mentors in my life. And so as a top performer, when you, when you can do that for your organization, man, it's a gift. And I didn't realize that the impact it was happening in the now, when I, but when, as I've left now for being off for a couple of years, uh, it's amazing what that did for others around me as I look back. And so if, if you're out there and you're, and you're one of those people that aren't practicing, you, you aren't, you're transactional, you're, you're winging it. Like you, you deserve better. The clients deserve better. Your company deserves better. And if you don't think you're, you don't need to change, this business will humble you in a hurry. And you'll be another statistic of mm-hmm. doing something different. But instead, you got control of this. Be the hero of your own story, not the victim. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've, 
written about that. I mean, one of the great things about sales, I think, is that even compared to other careers, since you're yeah, it's so external to what you're doing, is you get a chance to write your own story again. Change your narrative. Right. Be who you want to be. Um, it's a great, great opportunity to do that. And it's not like you're playing an act. It's no, it's just embracing that part of you that you want to be. You know, it's there somewhere. And yeah, you know, for me, it's yeah, you know, part of that was you know, relatively introverted, shy, you know, person. Certainly he's a younger person. And uh, yeah, I didn't want to be that way. And uh, sales was a good way for me, at least in those those opportunities and in my work relationships that sort of helped bring me out of the yeah, I don't say shell because I wasn't in a shell, but certainly made me more comfortable in those types of environments. And to where you want to be in those environments. I think that's really the transition for a lot of sellers is that you, know, you sort of go through the sort of fear stage and then you get to the point where it's like you can't wait to be talking to a customer. Yeah, because you're prepared. You're prepared and you're confident in what you can provide, and the way you can help them and uh, get what they want. Right. So, all right, Casey, unfortunately, we need to wrap it up, but uh, thank you for joining me. You bet. And if people want to learn more about uh, your book and what you're doing, how can they do that? Uh, Well, thanks. It's been an honor joining you. I I love talking about the mindset of of sales and sales profession, salesperson. Um, The best way people can learn more about me is visiting my website, which is um, kcjcox.com, so C-A-S-E-Y. J-A-C-O-X.com. I am active on LinkedIn, so I encourage people if this conversation resonated with you. I'd love to talk further, connect that way. And the book is live on Amazon, and I am in the final stages of recording an audible version of my book. Mm-hmm. Okay. I recorded it myself. Um, I'm actually, it's weird. I'm not sure when this episode's going live, but we are in June 25th right now, and um, I will be meeting with my producer next week. And I can't wait to. Uh, to get it out there because I've had enough people say, man, I, I love I love read your book, but I'm an audible, audible person. <laughs> more and more books being listened to as opposed to being read. Well, that's fine. As long as people are doing it. Yeah. And you have a podcast. Don't forget to mention that. I do. So my podcast is called the quarterback dad cast. Like Andy mentioned earlier, and it's live on all major, um, all major players. If you're a father out there that wants to be inspired, whether it's, your stay-at-home dad, executive, an athlete, doesn't matter who. That's the best thing we have in common is we're all dads trying to keep our kids out of jail, inspiring them to be the best <laughs> versions of themselves. Keep them out of jail. That's good, a good plan. Yeah, mine, mine managed to managed to avoid that. So that was good. So, all right, Casey, thanks a lot. You bet, man. Honor to join you. Talk to you soon. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, we're so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Casey Jaycox, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you. Appreciate your help for doing that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.